So here we are, the new year, and I don't know how you all deal with the new year, but the way I tend to deal with the new year is I do, I do really well, um, basically Halloween through, through New Year's Day. But once New Year's Day hits, things get a little bleak for me. Uh, because I don't like winter. I don't like the cold. I've talked to you about this before. And when, when I'm outside and I'm taking those lights down from Christmas and everything, it just feels like, man, there's nothing left to look forward to. So a bunch of the presents and toys are already broken and things like that. It's cold. It's dark for like 18 hours a day at this time of the year. Summer is a long way off and it feels like there's just nothing really to look forward to. And some of you, you know how this feels and, and kind of when you host like a Christmas Eve party, this is kind of a metaphor for that. It's like you have all the buildup and anti anticipation of the party and the work that goes into the party and then the celebration itself happens and it's awesome and then that last guest leaves far too late usually and you you shut the door behind them and you turn around and you look at your house and what do you have a mess a pile of dishes and and your uncle broke that over there and then there's a cousin who's still asleep on the sofa you gotta kick him out whatever that looks like There's really nothing left to look forward to except for like cleanup duty, right? And so that's how a lot of us feel as we're approaching this new year now that we're into this new year. Some of us, man, we're we're ready to take the new year by storm and we're all excited and 2017 is going to be awesome and it's going to be different. Some of us, we barely made it here on fumes. Right, And some of us, we're just indifferent about it. We don't really care about the new year. We're like, well, whatever, this will be more of the same. And this time of year is really just kind of a working metaphor for this experience that we have all had at different points in our life. Some of us are currently having, or if we're not currently experiencing it, we will someday in the future, where there was this buildup for something, and now the celebration has come and it's gone, the thrill is gone, and now you're kind of stuck going, what is there to look forward to? So for me, I get in this kind of like post-New Year's funk where I just, I, I just don't feel like I have anything to look forward to. And, and different people approach these situations in different ways. Some of us, we, we go into attack mode. So, so this is kind of something like th- those of you who are type A and you've got like 24 categories of your life with eight resolutions under each one and you're just checking those things off the list and, and because it's early in January, you're doing great. You'll, you'll fail in February. We've seen it happen too many times. Some of you are like, no, I won't. Yeah, you will. You probably will. I've been to the gym too many times in January and then also in February to see what happens, okay? It's a very different experience. But some of us, that's the way we approach it. Like we're going to attack the year. This year's going to be different. Others of us, we're just in denial and we try to keep the party going. We keep looking for things things to celebrate. This is what my three-year-old is doing right now. The one who is the Grinch over Christmas now won't let go of Christmas. He rotates between wearing a Santa hat every day and his Happy New Year hat every day. And he proclaims to us every day when he wakes up, it's a good day. It's Christmas again. We're like, Bo, it's not Christmas again. Christmas is over. You need to move on. Okay. And some of us, that's what we do. We're, we're just in denial. We won't let go of the party. These are, these are the people who leave the Christmas lights up till St. Patrick's Day. Which is one thing, if you want to leave them hanging on your gutters, that's your own thing. But when you're still turning the lights on in March, you need to stop it, okay? It's time to to move on. Others of us, we just surrender. We throw up the white flag before the clock even strikes midnight on New Year's Eve. We throw up the white flag and go, this is just going to be more of the same. Because we're the realists in the room. We're the ones who go, man, nothing magical happens when the clock strikes midnight. There's no magic New Year's fairy dust that makes the bank like, like say, oh, you don't have to pay your debts anymore. There's, no, there's nothing magical that happens that all of a sudden makes your marriage better. There's nothing magical that happens that makes your kids better. There's nothing magical that happens that makes your body forget all the calories that you've consumed for the past two months, Right? And we're the realists in the room. We just throw up a white flag and go, this year will be more, more of the same. Why, why would it be any different? So I thought, 
I thought it'd be a good idea that at the very beginning of 2017, why not just kind of press pause for a second and talk about this phenomenon? Like, what do you do when you find yourself on that spectrum somewhere between like unexplainable funk all the way over to like absolute depression, like can't get out of bed? Like, what, what do you do in moments like that? Because we've all had them, we're in them, or we will have them. And fortunately for us, the Bible doesn't leave us to just figure this out on our own. Like if you look, if you read through the Bible, what you'll discover is real people experiencing real things in real ways. You'll see real people going through every emotion that you and I could ever go through. Every experience that you and I could ever go through has been experienced by those that we see and read about in the Bible. They're real people. Press even further and you have Jesus who's described in Hebrews as this great high priest who's able though to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. In other words, he gets it. He understands us. He understands the spectrum of human experience. He understands what it's like to feel pain and sadness, to be overwhelmed to the point of death. He understands what it's like to be tempted in every way, yet was without sin. So, so, so Jesus understands us. He gets us. So when we approach the Bible, we need to understand what we're not doing. We're not opening a self-help book. The Bible is not three easy steps to happiness. It's not seven habits of highly effective people. It's not 25 disciplines to a new you. That's not what it is. There's, there's a time and a place for all that, but that's not what the Bible is. There's nothing wrong with steps and habits and disciplines, but first and foremost, the Bible's not a self-help book. The Bible is a you-can't-help-yourself book. Jesus has helped you book. That's, that's what it is. The Bible is all about Jesus doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. So, so with that disclaimer, what I want to do is I want to turn to what's probably a relatively, relatively familiar part of Scripture known as the book of Psalms. If you just take a Bible and you kind of try to open it right in the middle, you're highly likely to land in the, in the Psalms. And Psalms just means songs or poems. And it's this collection of poems and songs that express really just the range of human emotions. So this is why it's been so helpful for people for many, many years, because regardless of what you're going through, you can find probably a dozen psalms, if not more, that will give language to what you're currently feeling and what you're currently experiencing. So if you're going through pain, go to the psalms. You're hurting, you're sad, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're doubting, you're scared, you're vulnerable, you're excited, you're happy, whatever that may be, you can go to the psalms and you'll find language being put to what you're currently experiencing. So the psalm I want to look at today is Psalm 42. we got free Bibles in the back at all our campuses. You can go grab one of those, pull it up on your phone. But we're going to live in Psalm 42 today. And this is a psalm that was not written by, by the famous writer, King David. A lot of the psalms are written by King David, but this one was not. This one was written by this unnamed worship leader. Written by this unnamed man who was a worship leader, whose job it was was to go to the temple and lead God's people in worship. Just like we have worship leaders up here. This is their job, to stand up here and lead us all in worship and singing and recitation of prayer and all those kinds of things. That's, that's his job. Now, here's what's going on in this man's life. There's, there's something that has put him in this place. His circumstances have put him in this place where he's somewhere in that range of like unexplainable funk to absolute depression. Which, which I, just to let you know, these are real people up here experiencing real things. And sometimes they don't feel like stepping up here. Sometimes the circumstances of their life leads them to a place where this man is right now. And so this is the language that, that this man puts around what he's feeling. Check this out, Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? 
So despite the fact that this verse, this first verse especially is pretty famous, like it, there's this old church song, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul. There's that, there, you've probably seen that on like a, a Christian coffee mug or a t-shirt with a nice little healthy looking deer and it says, as the deer pants for the, no, that's not the picture that this man is painting. The picture this man is painting is of a deer that's on the verge of death, tongue swollen, staggering through the desert in need of water. That's the picture. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're in like a dry and weary land and there's no relief coming your direction? Because that's how this man feels right now. And he says, look, all I've got that's consistent in my life is tears. Those tears have been like the only thing sustaining me. And my tears are like this constant reminder of this question that I have rattling around in my head that goes like this. Hey, where are you, God? Where are you in all of this? Can anyone relate to that right now? Maybe right now you're going, I don't, I don't see God right now. I don't experience him right now. I don't feel him right now. I don't understand what he's doing right now. You've been in that place before where all you could do is like throw yourself down on the sofa, look at the ceiling and go, God, what, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? Where are you? I don't get it. I don't understand. That's where this man is. And to make matters worse, he's a worship leader. So he feels like he's obligated to stand in front of people and tell them to praise God, but he doesn't feel like praising God. When, um, when we wrapped up Christmas Eve services, uh, we gave our entire staff a, a week off. And, and I, I don't do well with like staycations. I'm not very good at taking a week off, but staying around. Like, so historically, for like the past eight years, I've scheduled myself to, to speak at this conference for about uh, two or 3,000 college kids that all come from the Midwest to Denver. And, and, and I, I stand on stage and I teach. And so usually I really, really enjoy that. But this year I was on fumes. I was sick leading into Christmas. And I just did not feel like stepping on stage and, and teaching again, much less writing a couple more sermons on my, on my week off. And especially last Sunday was the last night I was supposed to teach at this thing. And I had to get in the car, drive down to Denver, go to the hotel, go into the conference room. And I just didn't feel like teaching at all. And I sat there in the pre-service meeting with my arms folded and I was grumpy. I'm sure everybody's wondering what was wrong with me. And I just was having this little pity party. I was feeling really sorry for myself because I was going, I'd rather be home with my family. And I'm looking at my watch going, I got to be up in eight hours to get up and go to work and write a sermon for this weekend. Why did I do this to myself? I'm just having this whole internal dialogue. And right before the service starts, I have this, this man come up to me. And I had met him like five years earlier when he was a freshman in college attending this conference. Now he's a leader at this conference. And he came up to me. He's like six seven, tight end, big football player guy. And he comes up to me. He's like, hey, Scott, it's good to see you again. Hey, man, I just, I just felt like I should come over and remind you of something. The first time I ever clearly heard the message about Jesus was from you. And that changed the entire direction of my life. Now I'm doing youth ministry and I'm a part of this church that's planting churches all around Omaha, Nebraska. And just make sure you tell the people at Flatirons that what you do impacts a whole lot of people. Thank you for what you do. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, God, did you send like a six, seven angel down to me? Like in this, thank you. Like I really, I, like I didn't deserve that. I was, I was being a baby, you know, I didn't deserve that, but I needed that in that moment. So, so here's this man who's this, he's a person like me, person like Sean, person like all the other worship leaders we have up here, Tommy, who, who stand up here and go, you know, I, I feel obligated to do this, but right now I don't feel like it. And here's what he has to say. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. 
How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Here's what he's saying. He's got all these past memories. He's got all these snapshots. He's got all these, all these moments where he stood in rooms at the temple and things like that and saw God do amazing things, saw God show up, saw God just interact with people, transform people, and change people's lives. I've got all those snapshots. I've got all those memories. I've been doing church for like 20 years as a pastor. As a pastor and I've been I've got a lot of church under my belt so I've seen God do amazing amazing things but for this man for this worship leader he's going the past memory of all those amazing things that God did makes the current circumstances where I can't see what God is doing more painful it's more painful because I know God you're out there and yet it feels like you've kind of like let go of me you've like abandoned me so here's what this man does in this next, this next moment, and this is kind of the crux of this psalm. This is vital. This is really, really important. Look at this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation in my God, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Now, do you, do you see what he did? He did something that some people call you crazy if you do it. He's talking to himself. You see what he's done? He steps outside of himself, he's talking to himself, and he's affirming some things that he needs to hear, but he's talking to himself, right? Some of you are like, I do that all the time, I don't see what the problem is. Okay, you're a step ahead of some of us. So, so I'll be honest with you, whenever I hear somebody talk about the power of positive thinking, or speaking things into existence, or throwing positive things into the universe so that they'll come back your direction, I laugh. That all sounds really, really silly to me, all right? And at its worst, it, it turns into the, this thing called the prosperity gospel where, where it gets taught falsely, by the way, that if you just believe things enough that the cancer will always go away, that your husband will always come home, your kids will always behave, and the bank account will always be full. That's not biblical. It's, it's not true. And I've always thought it was ironic because like, like I read this author this week who said this. He said, happy people don't have to stand in the mirror and convince themselves to be happy. They don't have to say these things to, the, to themselves, right? But here's what I do know. Yes, this stuff can go off the, the deep end theologically in a million other ways, but I do know this. Your, your internal dialogue does affect things in, in real life. Like, like in weightlifting, like if you walk up to a barbell, you want to deadlift that thing, you want to power, power clean that thing, whatever that is, and you're walking up to that thing and you're going, man, this is too heavy. Every time I've ever tried this, is too heavy. This is way more than you can lift. This is impossible. You're never going to do this. Guess what? That barbell's not moving. And it's not going anywhere. So from like the free throw line to the putting green to whatever it is, you, you know this. It, if the internal dialogue is entirely negative, that, that will at times become a reality. So, so here we have this man, okay? He's talking to himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones, this, this old preacher, he wrote a book years ago called Spiritual Depression. You might want to go on Amazon and grab it. It's, it's kind of a hard read, but it's a very, very good book. Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Go check it out. But he talks about this a lot. And he, he talks about exactly what this man is doing in Psalm 42. And he says this. He says, we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Does that make sense? In other words, we, we all have this internal voice that we have this tendency to just allow to run amok. Even when what those, that voice in our head, that internal dialogue, is saying things that absolutely are not true, saying things contrary to God's word, or at the very least, saying things that are not helpful. So what Martin Lloyd-Jones says is, he says this, do you realize that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? 
So those of you who talk to yourselves, again, you're doing awesome. You're way ahead of the rest of us. So, so some of you right now are going, I have no idea what you're talking about, Scott. See if this resonates, okay? Here, here's how this works for me. I am an introvert, okay? Despite the fact that I stand on stage. Everybody thinks people who stand on stage are, intro, are, are extroverts. Typically, that's not true. Usually, we're introverts, okay? Because this is, not a, this is not a dialogue. I'm controlling this, man. This is just me, right? It's the interaction stuff that makes me all nervous and things like that. So, so I'm an introvert. I tend to live inside my head, and so I put up these walls. And plus, I was an only child, so I have years worth of just sitting alone, you know, stirring in my own head. And here's what I'll do. I'll have like a, a small interaction with somebody that's kind of a confrontation, but not a really big deal. And what, what I'll do is later on in the day or two days later, two weeks later, whatever that is, I'll go back to that in my head. And then I'll start to make up a whole new scenario. Well, what you should have said was this. And then they probably would have said this. And then I would have done this. And then I would have punched them in the throat. And then all, the, all this stuff, like this whole <laughs> fictional scenario, like snowballs out of control. And I'll find myself physically worked up about it, emotionally invested in it, very upset about this thing that did not happen. Does anybody else do this? Thank you. You're making me feel so much better, all right? I was really worried about that when I was going to talk about that this weekend. No, I think a lot of us, that, that happens to us. And so what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about that, that is this. He says, the essence of this matter is to understand that this self of ours, this other man within us, has got to be handled love that phrase. Don't listen to him. Turn on him. Speak to him. Condemn him. Abrade him. Exhort him. Encourage him. Remind him of what you know instead of listening placidly to him and allowing him to drag you down and depress you. I find that really, really helpful. You got to handle this voice that can get out of control in your life. And so that's what this man in Psalm 42 is doing. He, he's, he's handling himself. He's saying, he's saying look, here's what we're going to do. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Don't put your hope in your circumstances. Circumstances are not a firm place to plant your feet. Circumstances change, they shift, they move. You cannot put your hope in your circumstances. Hope and faith in, in the Bible are always tied very closely to one another. Hebrews 11.1 1 says it this way. Now faith is the assurance of things what? Hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. We talk about faith all the time. Faith is, is not just the belief, but it's the action based upon that belief that God is who he says he is and will do everything that he's ever promised to do. He will keep his promises. And that kind of faith, that kind of hope is not without evidence. Again, this man who wrote this psalm is going, I, I know you're out there, God. I've seen you operate. I've seen you work. I've got this evidence of your interaction in my life. And that's a lot of us. A lot of us can go, yeah, I can see in my past how God has done things. It's just that I don't see how God is, is doing anything in my life right now. But it's that confidence that we can gain from God's interaction with us in the past that can give us the hope and give us the faith to plant our feet firmly on God as we move into the future. Because the reality is this, we're all standing on something. We're all putting our hope, we're all putting our trust, we're all putting our faith in someone or something. We're all putting our hope in something will deliver for us. And if that faith, if that hope, if that trust is in anyone or anything other than the one true God, we're going to end up really, really disappointed. And that's the story of a lot of our lives. That's the cycle of a lot of our lives. We've learned these lessons. People will fail. People will not deliver. People will not do what you need them to do because guess what? They're people. 
And they make mistakes just like you and I do, because we're people too, right? And circumstances will either change in a way that you don't want them to change, or they will not change in the way that you want them to change. Circumstances are not a firm place to put your feet. This man says to himself, don't. Put your faith in God. And he calls God the God of my salvation. In other words, this is the reason why he can put his faith in God is because he's the God of his salvation. Now remember, this is written way before Jesus. So here he is in the Old Testament talking about God being his salvation. We have this big misperception oftentimes about how how people in the Old Testament before Jesus were reconnected back to God. We have this misperception that, yeah, well, if they were very religious, if they went to the temple and did the sacrifices and all that kind of stuff, then they were reconnected to God. No. Mm Mm-mm. Nobody, listen to me, nobody in the history of the universe has ever been reconnected to God by perfectly obeying God or following his rules. The only way that anyone has ever been reconnected to God, saved by God, is by grace through faith in the Old Testament by looking forward to Jesus without being able to name him specifically, but in hope and in trust and in faith that God would send someone to reconnect them to God. Or for us in the New Testament, this side of Jesus, looking back to a day in history where Jesus hung on a cross and he took all of our sin and our shame and our regret. They killed him, they slaughtered him, they buried him. And on the third day, he rose back to life, announcing that it is finished, it is accomplished. All that's needed to be done in order for us to be reconnected back to God has been done by grace. Put your faith in him. That's the way that works. Now, look, if that did not happen... If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, said, we're to be pitied more than anybody else. In other words, we should just fold up shop, cancel church right now, not even sing another song, and all go have some fun in the mountains. But if that did happen, that changes everything. Literally. So often what I have to do, just talk about me, is I have to raise my head above the level of my circumstances and remember these things. And put my hope in God. Because I'm in danger, again, being an introvert, I'm in danger of what I like to call morbid introspection. It's this cycle that we can get into where we only think about ourselves. We only think about the way other people affect us and how other people make us feel and, and how we're triggered and how we, we, everything revolves around us. So here's the reality check that I have to, I have to often give myself. The universe doesn't revolve around Scott Nickel. The universe doesn't revolve around me. The world doesn't stop moving if I go away. I'm not some unique snowflake, right? Despite what your first grade teacher may have taught you, you know. No, I, here's, what's, here's, what's, here's where I find my identity. The creator of the universe, the one who is the center of the universe, loves me and cares about me. And gives me a secure place to find my identity. That's a firm place to put my feet. But in our current cultural setting where we're a bunch of coddled people who are all trying to achieve the moral high ground of victimhood. We have to realize the world doesn't revolve around us and that's a very good thing for us. So this leads, this leads to like the second thing that this man tells himself. He says put your hope in God and he also says this. Praise him. Praise him. He makes a commitment. Remember, he's a worship leader. He says, I will again. He says, first, I shall again praise him. He goes, I will do this. I'm going to do this again. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get in front of your people, and I'm going to, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to lead your people in praising his name again. And he doesn't say, if my circumstances get better. 
He doesn't say, if I find the water that I'm looking for because I'm thirsty, I'm in a dry land. No, no, no. He doesn't say, if things get better, then I'll do this again. He says, for I shall again praise him. This is what, what C.S. Lewis referred to. He wrote a book about the Psalms, and he referred to this dynamic of when we praise him, when we don't feel like praising him, as digging channels in a waterless land. That idea just really resonated with me this week. In other words, there are times where we, we praise his name because we should, because we ought to, because it's the right thing. And what we're doing when we do that is we're literally like digging out these channels in a dry desert place in hopes that it will rain again. So when the rain comes, that'll have somewhere to flow right into our hearts. And life will come out of that. Let me be honest with you, okay? I, I hope you know about me by now that I really do love the Bible. I really do. I love the Bible. I study the Bible all the time. But let me also push on this for a second. You need to understand, there are many days that when I go to the corner of my office and, and stand at my table and open up my Bible and I read whatever it is that I'm reading and studying, the heavens don't open. No writing on the wall. No great epiphanies. No, no sunshine and rainbows and butterflies come into the office. <laughs> like, like there, there are many days I open the Bible, I read what I'm going to read that day, I close the Bible, and I don't feel anything. And I think it's important to keep doing it. Because one day, rain will come. And sometimes there are many days where I don't feel anything. But I keep digging that channel. And then there's a day when the rain comes. So, does that mean we should all just like, you know, put on a happy face and pretend everything's okay when it's not okay? Absolutely not. No, in fact... You know what I think is really, really important? I think it's vital, whether it comes to when you're going to sit down and read the Bible, you're going to pray, you're going to show up to church, and you're going to sing songs, whatever that is, I think it's vital to do that in full recognition and acknowledgement of whatever it is that you're currently feeling, being super honest about what's going on in your life. Right? I think a good way to show up to church is, if it's true, is to come in here, sit down with your coffee in your hand and go, well, I'm angry, God, but I'm here. I'm sad, but I'm here. I'm overwhelmed, confused, but I'm here. I think that's a great way to show up to church. Because when we deny our emotions, we become a slave to our emotions. It's only when we fully acknowledge our emotions, they get put in their rightful place. We don't get dragged around by them. So... Maybe this dynamic has happened with you. Maybe, maybe you've showed up here before. It's ha it happens to me all the time. I show up and go, I don't feel like being here. I don't feel like being here. And people stand up. The music starts. The band, we got two painfully white guys dancing back there and all that kind of stuff. And everybody, seemed, everybody seems really, really happy, you know, happy new year, whatever that is. And, and everybody's singing and that person's singing and he shouldn't be singing, but he is singing. And, and, and you're like, I don't, I don't feel like it, man. I don't feel like singing. But you stand up. And something happens during the course of that service. Your circumstances don't change, but something changes in you. Had you not shown up and dug that channel in a dry and weary place, the rain would have had nowhere to go. So, C.S. Lewis also talks about this, this dynamic of praise. And again, praise is just saying out loud with your mouth what is true or what you believe to be true about God. 
He says, praise indicates what you enjoy. So take God out of the equation for a second. When you praise a person, you praise a steak, you praise whatever that may be, you're you're indicating what you enjoy by saying things about it. But C.S. Lewis pushes further. He says there's something about expressing the praise that completes the enjoyment. Now, here's here's the easiest way I could describe this for you. When you go to a, a Bronco game or you go to your kid's football game or basketball game or hockey game, whatever that is, you don't just sit there. What do you do? You stand, you cheer, you yell at the referee, you yell incomplete. You do all kinds of different things. Why do you do that? Because there's something about expressing the praise that completes the enjoyment. And there's something about, and sometimes I think especially during painful, difficult times in our life, there's something about expressing praise that not only expresses that we enjoy God, but it completes the enjoyment that we have in God. And this is how we carve out channels in a waterless land. So don't ever let anyone tell you that in order to be a follower of Jesus, you got to always be happy, you got to always put on a happy face, you can never be sad, you can never be lonely. Don't ever let anyone make you feel guilty for feeling whatever you're currently feeling. Just be honest about what you're currently feeling. There are enough simple-minded, self-righteous Christians out there heaping up heavy loads on broken down, burdened Christians right now to go around. We don't need any more of that. I mean, is being depressed sinful? No, Robin Bergen has said this clearly over the years of dealing and battling with her depression. Being depressed in and of itself is not a sin, but depression is a place where sin can easily grow. So here we are. It's 2017. Some of us, man, we're really excited. We're, we're, we're so excited about this new year, we're ready to get after it. Some of us, we're in denial. We're just, we're just putting our head down. Some of us, we're just throwing up the white flag. We've surrendered. We don't even care about the new year. It's just going to be more of the same. doesn't matter. Regardless of wherever we are on that spectrum, here's two rock-solid things that we can commit to in 2017. Number one, tell yourself this. Regardless of your circumstances, Put your hope in God. Don't put your hope in your bank account. Don't put your hope in your husband. Don't put your hope in your wife. Don't put your hope in your kids. Don't put your hope in your job. All that can change on a dime. Put your hope in God. And make a commitment, a firm one, to praise him. Establish a habit, an ongoing habit of carving out channels in a waterless place, which means make a commitment to show up here in full recognition of your feelings, regardless of what's going on in your life, and and, and say to God, I'm here, God, don't want to be here, don't feel like being here, but here I am, and I'm hoping, I'm praying that one day, I'm trusting you're going to send some rain. I'm going to keep carving out these channels, and one day I trust, because of who you are and the promises you've made, that you will send rain. And in doing this, We will find joy. Look at verse 8. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I don't know if this happens to you, but this happens to me. We were talking about this in in a meeting this morning with our worship team. Like, wake up in the middle of the night, and some of the songs that we sing around here are just kind of going through my brain. Throughout the day, I'll find myself humming one, singing one, whistling one, whatever that is. That's a good thing. It's those moments that help me raise my head above the level of my circumstances and realize that though in this moment it feels like summer's a long way off, there's nothing to look forward to, the party is over, it's over, it's done, there's nothing worth celebrating. There is so much worth celebrating right now. There's so much to look forward to right now. Not some way off in the distance, pie in the sky, but right now. Because again, God's kingdom is here and it's now and it's growing and it's expanding. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. It is finished. It's over. It's done. Everything that needed to be completed on our behalf has been completed. 
He has a kingdom and he's announced that his reign will never, ever end. I've never been the kind of a person that has like a life verse. I have a lot of verses I like and stuff like that. But there's this, this verse that right now is in the running for me. Right? It's a pretty obscure verse. It's Ecclesiastes 9-7, but I'm really digging it right now. I think you'll like it too. Look at this. It says this. Go, eat your bread with joy. I'm sure it's gluten-free. That counts too. All right. <laughs> I'm actually quite sure it's not. But, and drink your wine with a merry heart. And I love this part. For God has already approved what you do. What that means is this. There's much to celebrate because when God looks at us, when we are in Christ, he doesn't see our performance. He doesn't see what we've done on our behalf. He doesn't see our resume. He sees what his son Jesus has done for us. And God looks at that and goes, I approve. That's a good moment. Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. There's this old, old, old hymn, this old, old song I was thinking about this week that makes this announcement really, really clear. It's called, This is My Father's World. It goes like this. This is my Father's world. Let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This, right here, right now, is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king, let the heavens ring, God reigns, let the earth be glad.